and we're live. That one, we lost the bot immediately. Well, if we have one of them functioning, that's as good as both. <laughs> Welcome to Flail Forward, where this is the norm. I see what you in did there. It, Yeah, the norm in games. Norms in games. How? how the, I, the irony or coincidence is almost painful. Did Rob How are you? Okay. <laughs> I think you cut out for me, but uh, good, good. Uh, I, I'm i Mark, because I don't think we've done intros, uh, okay. as is also our norm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a game that is so freeform, I don't know what the norms of it are. So this uh, will be very interesting. I can, I can talk about that, cause that yes. because that exists in your game, and you do things to establish them. You just put it in the player's hand to some extent, and there are some things that are implied with how with the questions you ask, but that's, that's fair. Yeah, I think we could actually go into detail on that pretty easily, because you do have some... Uh, yes, Catrice and I should introduce ourselves. I am Kavor. I This is somehow my topic. I don't know. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Screwed up big this time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Catrice, I know everybody knows it's you, but please just Nobody has any proof that I exist. You can't prove it. If you can, they will never find your body. I can't prove I exist either, just so <laughs> we're I I'm I'm those are the good times when I can't demonstrate I exist, I feel mm -hmm. so much better. Yeah, I usually get hung up on the I think, therefore I am bit. And mm -hmm. then it's like, can I really prove that I think? Or do the no. thoughts just kind of pop into the head and it's like, is it really my thoughts then? Hmm. This is right. a problem. Yeah. Anyway. So, Flail Forward yeah. is the podcast we're doing about game design. <laughs> this is also not normal. Not organization. <laughs> nope. Nope. That's not about organization. That's for damn sure. I think we did an episode on that once. Yeah, but the podcast is certainly not reflective of that. <laughs> anyway, we're doing, yes, we're talking about norms and games, how they're established, why they're established, maybe. Yeah, that's probably worth noting. Yep. I want to start with a really brief why and uh, explanation of what we're talking about. No, actually, I think you could do that better. Okay, okay, God. <laughs> um, so why why you establish these things is a so the things this why this is a topic that uh, it's actually Catrice's fault. <laughs> this topic is actually Catrice's fault is uh, how is in order to one of the major importances of establishing a setting norm or like any type of norm in a game is so that people can know when they're defying it. Because <laughs> if you don't know what they are, it's it, and you just have to make up and pretend that, like, uh, how should I phrase this? I know it's all made up, made up and pretend, but uh, but if you have mm -hmm. to, in, if you have to de just declare something as weird without it, without it being a logical follow through of the game itself, that tends not to that tends to ring hollow very easily unless. You are a very specific one of my players, but <laughs> that I had, but that's beside the point. <laughs> I know I'm being extremely Catrice because I just mentioned the inception in, mm -hmm. as, in the middle of my explanation. 
<laughs> but okay, yes. So how is this my fault? <laughs> well, it's your fault because you're because you're always going on about the, how the two main archetypes are extremely are. Uh, God, what's what's that called? Paragons are like exactly playing the the concept to a tilt or deliberate sabotage of the concept something that is a deliberately an outsider is that also a very common pc thing yeah, a lot of pcs are extreme outsiders and that is something that you bring up frequently and that's what caused me to talk about it because i was thinking about how your game does it versus how other games do it okay i can see that yeah no, i don't think those are the only two it's just those are by far the two most common that most people will work with yep like you have to establish a baseline of what is normal for you to go against the norm like you can't have like you know and dark brooding anti-hero if all of the heroes are dark brooding anti-heroes because you're not an anti-hero then you're just a hero <laughs> Are you saying Image Comics had no anti-heroes? I don't know. Okay, never mind. Yeah, that's right. that, that is a possibility. That's a very deep nerd cut. From like, it was, okay, so the first run of Image Comics was just Spawn and like Savage Dragon. It was like all these anti-heroes. Oh, okay. yeah, so, yeah. 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 I mean, at that time, it became like a big hit. But that's <laughs> one of those things that it's like, if everything's special, then nothing's special kind of thing like that kind of concept like yeah. you kind of have to establish what's normal for people to know what is what they're doing is in relation to normality like they'll figure out stuff on their own but it'll be all over the place and it may not be coherent like i mean we've definitely all had well okay Maybe we've definitely all, all experienced it firsthand ourselves, but we probably know of, like, you know, the adventuring party where you have, like, oh, this is the elvish druid, and then this is the guy in cybernetic armor. Also, this is the femboy cat girl, and this is the wow. space alien that drives everybody insane who looks at it who is dating the femboy cat girl of course i, so, I haven't seen that particular party but not that checks particular out. one but you get the idea that it's like there's definitely a trend towards if you do not establish what makes sense in your given scenario and you just tell your players just make a character they're not going to make a coherent set of characters it's just standard <laughs> yeah, yeah there's no it's no established baselines first of all like if, if like i made a character very recently for a game without input from the other players and i'm used i'm used to talking it over with the other players first to kind of see where we're at um but uh the way i the, the gm gave us just enough to sort hang of ourselves. <laughs> yeah what hang yourself but just just enough to be like okay it's a swamp it's D D. okay that's we we i can work with that you know like the even that 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 embarrassed like it's it's a bog town there's like you know there 
they have it's like D&D, D&D, it's it's D&D. They're, there's beaver farms and mushroom stuff and you know it, there's you know it's fantasy swamp thing and uh okay good enough like and, and we we all ran with that and, and and came up with characters that were all you know uh good enough to work together like it, it, and and the the party gelled quite quickly this makes sense. Like mm-hmm. you're given some kind of an idea of what to work with. If you don't have that, like if you don't even know, like something vague, like a basic thing about the setting, a basic thing about like what your overall goals are. If it's just like make a character, and it's like that doesn't tell me much to work with. Like I'm gonna do something. It'll be probably going to hate this decision for the rest of the game. You will regret this. <laughs> I, got it. I was going to talk about <laughs> that everybody kind of sidelined. It was not like we got most of the way through establishing the set. Setting and then got the a little footnote that made them undead. <laughs> so the entire setting was just wrap, or was just the PCs and the. Evil Overlord for Undead? Uh, no, there, there was like, okay. I I didn't want to get derailed on this, but uh, I guess I kind of invited it. But, okay, so we established, okay, here's the Evil Empire. They're a bunch of uh, war machine people from above the, from the surface world. Uh, they're here to, 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 kidnap our, to kidnap our wizards to power their war machines. Okay. That's what... We are the we are the people of the deep sea. We we're here to you know rebel against their authority and push them back and maybe unstabilize their their control over the above land. But you know, we, unfortunate. And then we established our side, which was headed by a bunch by a cabal of super wizards who were you know trying to hold on to their power, and that was what the force that was actually opposing them. And then at some point, somebody mentioned a lich and things, and we realized that the super wizard army would probably logically just make all their troops immortal undead. I mean, that's what I would do if I was a super wizard. Yeah. The benefits are just way too high. I mean, you don't have to feed them. They don't need, like, you know, no barracks, no latrines, uh, no logistics. Man, just like, here, point them at the thing, and they'll just run at the walls until they. Something they they either break or the wall does. So, would uh, I would point? I'll uh, also say the game was. Uh, remember how to pronounce this? Game was. God, I I'm the wrong. I was in the wrong Discord server to find the game, so that didn't help. But the game, but the game was. Uh, Sorry, I I am trying to find this, but I am not doing well. I can cover for you for a second. 
Yeah, that's fine. That's when Rob mentioned, like, you know, throwing them at the wall, I immediately thought of Helm's Deep and realized, well, this removes most of the moral issues with suicide bombers. Yeah. I mean, wow, I never thought of that, but that's totally true. Uh, Armor Astir, uh, Armor Astir Avent, specifically. Which kind of extremely has a setting and also extreme and also extremely doesn't. It, you are a revolutionary force fighting against an authority of some type. And there are a lot of mechanics defined by that. also you have robots. You have giant mech you have giant mechs, just definitionally. That's pretty fun. I mean giant mechs versus undead. Uh, no, we were the undead side. Our oh. dynamics were undead powered. Oh, even better. Yeah. Uh, the the other side yeah. used volcano max, but mm, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's this sounds mech. very much like how I set up ashes in a yep. number of ways. I guess maybe it, maybe it was accidentally ashes influence. That could be possible, but you did establish norms and things that were happening like you were creating yes. the setting you talked about this this is like session zero stuff it's and yeah think... and also Sorry. what is clearly defined in that setting is there are me- there are mechs there there is a revolution going on it is a it is a proper war and one side represents uh, an authority that is imposing things on another side that is a plucky rebellious group both sides have both sides have super robots uh, that is like a, a great game. Bit, there's I a mean, bit of, yeah. It's a good pitch. No, yeah. it's totally fine. I uh, just want to point out that session zero is a very good way for establishing the norms in the yes. game. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. And what I was, I was trying to get at is it may mm-hmm. not have a defined setting, but it establishes a lot of norms that are innate to it without defining its setting completely in a very interesting way that i thought mm. was worth noting that, yeah thank you for that that's interesting yeah yeah the right because it's saying here the, these are the things that are definitely true fill in the rest yeah yeah, yeah. and that is good as well because you're giving room to say that they're not only these are true but it's like here's the basic scaffolding to build upon so you know where to build it's kind of like the thing with mark's game where it's like he does define there is something weird in the world define what is weird in the world there is something weird you have right. to fill it's, it in it has to be in there it's almost a level of abstraction away where it's like i don't know going into a new game of praxis what the norms are going to be but it's it's up to the players to define them and i just make sure that there are norms um, and, and another thing, another type of norm that your game has establishes that I want to point out because you might not realize it's there is you innately establish that this is going to be a game about people discovering themselves. Oh, absolutely. That's the, the core premise. Yeah, exactly. And it is something that differentiates it from other, like, like it is innately to, into its DNA and it is built. Yeah, that's very true. I, I think um, it, it's harder, or I guess it's harder to see in games that don't have as fixed of a setting. And the more fixed your setting is, the more 
noticeable your your norms of fiction and lore come in um it's also harder i think to enforce it when your game is open to what your setting is because in a in a game that has a fixed setting it's much easier to tie in all of these elements of the the other fictional elements that characters can or players can interact with that will ultimately reinforce what that norm should be I I'd agree on that. Like I've been working on trying to build a fairly well established setting while still leaving it as open as possible and it has been one of the most difficult things I've ever had to design. It can be done. It's just I definitely do not recommend this to anybody else. <laughs> Mm-hmm. This is my stupid thing. I do stupid things. Deal with it. <laughs> do uh, not do this yourself. <laughs> yeah. But uh, on an unrelated note, I feel like it's worth noting that Armor Aster is one of those Powered by the Apocalypse games that is definitely borrows way too heavily. Well, not way too heavily, but borrows a lot from Voids in the Dark, so it ends up in this weird hybrid state that I think works in their case, but it's a uh, there is a reason, like, it's a weird line that it's playing with. It's something that I want to say about the game. It's not really to the topic, but it's worth noting. <laughs> well, I think we've, we've briefly touched on why we do norms at all, but I think we should probably go into a little bit more detail on it. I... What would happen if you didn't establish the norms in a game? Like, how does this cause problems beyond just, like, the player characters not meshing together well at all? Oh, well, I would guess lack of norms in a game uh, leaves it feeling very mushy. Um, I think uh, people have rightly made that... uh, level that critique at a lot of the generic games um where like GURPS doesn't have really an established baseline except that skills <laughs> cost points and mm-hmm. you can but beyond that like the kind of game you can do with GURPS is like well you can do a game where everybody's a cartoon character right and then or you, you can or you can do a game where it, you, everybody's like a very gritty special ops agent and, you, you know, they're bleeding rules and, you know, taking one bullet could mean your life and all this stuff. And, this and then you can have those characters meet, right? Yeah. So, 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 so GURPS, GURPS's baseline is uh, anything you can build can interact with itself, like in this system. And if, it, I mean, that's its thing, right? Like here, here's here's a cam- here's a cam- default campaign setting that's called Infinite Earths, so you can literally just smash anything together. That's what it does really well, uh, and it kind of mechanizes all of the stuff you would want to mechanize about each of those things. Like if you want to do mash up a super game with uh, horror or that cartoon game, you know, you can you can kind of squint and have those things interact um 
You can even have the characters playing by different sets of rules so that the guy who's the special ops dude is using the bleeding rules and the cartoon character can get shot multiple times and uh, laugh it off or like beat recover in, in a scene, you know? So even those things can be side by side in curves and it can make the game feel very, mm, the physics of the game start to feel very real, even though you're doing intensely ridiculous shit. Mm. And so I don't know where, I've never played another game where that particular norm arises, where it feels like, you, yeah, you can me- you've mechanized just about every part of this rule, this <laughs> reality that you could measure. So uh, it, you can kind of reverse engineer the outcome of a situation <laughs> by establishing a whole bunch of fictional parameters. <clears throat> and um, it doesn't matter what those fictional parameters are or even if they're different. And that's that's kind of, I think maybe that's the thing that GURPS does, sells itself on the least, but that it's, that no other game really does. Yeah, there are lots of other games where you can, where you can have cartoon characters versus uh, gritty, versus gritty action heroes, and they can interact within the rule set, but there are not a lot of, of uh, those games that are also physics simulators or trying to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or could be, right? Because it, it doesn't have to be. Like it yeah. just has it, it just has some rules that could simulate physics if you wanted. But if you don't want to use them, then you go over here and just use hit points like everybody else, you know, like and it doesn't matter where you get shot because it's all just one pool of hit points. Or you could have like here's all these hit locations and bleeding rules and shock and you know so like it's such a bizarre it's so singular in its in its ability to just do what it does uh like savage worlds is probably like its closest cousin and when those weird characters interact they don't feel that different it still feels like okay here's a here's a guy using a magic spell and the flavor is magic and here's a guy using the same spell and the flavor of psionics and the mechanisms aren't really distinct so they don't they don't they don't have that crunch of distinct feeling to them that you get mm. but uh yeah i really thought about that before but that's it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to notice when you're thinking about the norms that, that are sta- a game establishes not just within its Sorry about that. Within... I had a weird audio bug. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Um, uh, so, uh, what was I saying? Uh, the norms of the game. It's the way. It's the way the game establishes the norms, not just through um, the setting or the uh, or how it's played in a particular uh, instance uh, at a table or, or online, but uh, in that way where it establishes a broad meta norm. Well, yeah, so it's less like GURPS would then be an example of a game that doesn't necessarily establish in fiction norms either, but it leaves it very open. And because of that openness, it has sort of a norm in itself. Is that what you're trying to say? I suppose. It's just you can you have to just um, because GURPS is so open, you have the, the, the players have to come to an agreement. They're forced to come to an agreement about the norms. Uh, prior to the beginning of the game, 
Whereas in many games, many other games where the norms are much more rigid and there's not as much agency on the part of the players about which norms are enforced, uh, they, there can still be those discussions, but they're typically not going to resolve at a mechanical level. Right. Like, you know, I think the norm in most D&D games now is not to do experience by encounter by, by monster. I think the norm is milestones. I haven't, I haven't not played a game or heard about a game being played in which XP was doled out for killing monsters in like 10 years at this point. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I just got invited to a, a D&D campaign that's uh, like rules is written experience. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Wonderful. <clears throat> yeah. Since like the types of people that you probably interact with too, Rob, are mm -hmm. probably not the types of people that are playing the pre-generated um, modules where it's like, we're well, even... follow all the default rules. We're not going to change anything. Here's everybody gets the cardboard copy pasted version that everybody should get the exact same experience as they go through this module kind of thing. I don't mm -hmm. think those are the types of people you hang out with. Typically not, but even so, uh, I do hear chatter in game stores. I still go to, to, to local game stores and just to kind of take the pulse. And even there, it's... And that could just be, again, like a local thing. Like maybe, maybe that sentiment has propagated well in Portland. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, because it seems like the, the yeah the rules is written like getting xp for killing monsters feels i don't know it just feels sort of antiquated at this point it feels and, and ironically it feels more video gamey than than getting well, experience for sure narrative milestones i'm not sure if that's ironic so much as uh, how should i phrase this that is something that video games took from D D, where it works in video games, it does not work in D D. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that's the irony, right? It's like here's where we established it and then yeah. So um and here's where you know it, it totally works better in, in video games because you don't have to do the math by hand and yeah, it's strange that there are video games that tried to do the milestones though, like Chrono Cross did milestones you had experience but it was like you had to face mm. like the next story point or the next boss before you got the next star level and you basically could not progress past that point until yeah yeah that's an interesting thing there's i don't know of too many other games like that where you can whereas it's there's kind of a hard <laughs> yeah well there's a hard cap on um out leveling the game right in in a sort of open rpgs there's that perennial problem of like out leveling the content. Um, it's so it, it's it's an interesting way of dealing with that problem. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it is. It is interesting though, like the concept of just milestones in general. Like even, I think the problem for where that breaks down for D and D is that a lot of times you're just killing monsters for the sake of killing monsters which is why it becomes a problem because like i actually do have experience in my game for defeating monsters not necessarily killing them but it's because it's basically quantifying milestones 
that are important story plots. If it doesn't really make sense in my game to just throw like a wall of monsters at players for them to kill. It's like, if you're fighting like a boss, there's got to be a story reason why the boss exists. There's like lead up and plot points and stuff like that. So when you kill the boss, it is a milestone. So it makes sense to track it in that way. If you were just throwing like monster after monster after monster at them, then it's like, well, these aren't really milestones. Right. I I don't I don't think many D D games these days are are doing the the monster gauntlet thing. I think most people are are leaning much heavy, more heavily into the in into the story realm, the story creation engine realm, and using D D as the most familiar tool to get there. And that's what it seems like to me, more increasingly. Um is and and what's interesting is the D and D books are are slowly catching up to this idea. <laughs> but yeah, as they introduce more story, like story focused content and more more ways for players to express um, mm -hmm. and mechanize story content. It, it's interesting because in that way, there's there's a lot of shifting of the norms that I think D&D &D puts out where even things like um, there was a huge uh, uh, what's it called? Errata, I guess, of some of the D&D &D books where like the races that were considered evil are now being shifted to not mm -hmm. because they didn't like 30 plus year established uh you're you're changing what is the norm of the game mm -hmm. um it's interesting to see the shit is growing towards because it is trying to read what some of those norms are oh, um, both in oh this was like an evil race like say the drow and oh they've been worshipping Loth and that's why they're fucking evil it's like what if they actually had like a storyline where oh they've managed to overthrow this evil goddess that everybody worships right um, almost everybody and basically okay we've we've moved away from this because we've actually done something to change it Instead, all they did is they went back and they just removed sections of text. Yeah, They didn't replace it with anything a lot of the time. They just said, we've removed the word evil from this paragraph. It's still the same paragraph. Or we've removed the entire paragraph. We haven't replaced it with anything else. Mm -hmm. It's just gone now. And it's like, this doesn't work. Yeah, I, I agree that the way that when it went about it was maybe not the best, but um, I think there's an idea of, you know, there's a there's a pre-established um, lore, and that established what the game felt like when these characters or these personalities were encountered, or or sort of the expectations from the players, and for that to now be changed, I think it's uh, interesting to see such a large game that is still trying to define its norms or. Is that something that 
as game designers, we should be consciously aware of that our game is never going to be perfectly set in what our, our game norms should be. It should be something that evolves with the times and with the interests of players. I think it's less so that it's still trying to define its norms. I think it already had defined its norms. And then because social situations change, then they decided to change their norms. Hmm. Like, it did have established norms that it followed. Like, it really wants, like, Driz Duern to be, like, this badass anti-authority figure that goes against, like, his established race of, like, every all the other drow are evil and all the males are slaves. Oh, wait, this one guy is, like, actually, like, a badass and he's actually a good guy. And, oh, you've just removed all the stuff that he's comparing himself again. So mm. he no longer has an established norm to rebel against, so this removes a large part of what makes him what he is. I I think they're... If they hadn't have changed that, they could have at least kept going with his character, but this is... I don't know if this is a mortal blow for the character concept, but it's definitely going to be something that because they have changed what their norms are it really is going to cripple their ability to move forwards on the things that they have established as this is the most interesting part of our setting right which i guess they they assume is fine for them because they want to move into a different direction and if if it means you know burying a character that is well loved but um is not reflective of where the the direction is for them, then then maybe that's an acceptable loss too. But uh, I don't know. I don't think uh, they're going to bury him. Is the problem right? Like he's um, too much of a money maker, and <laughs> it's. I don't think they're going to realize that this is disconnecting. Like they wanted to try to avoid anything that might be vaguely construed as black people are evil but in the process they've taken like one of the most iconic black characters in any setting and they've basically ruined him and it's like i don't i think saying that the the, removing a few texts a paragraph and saying all drow are not innately evil is not gonna ruin the the fantasy of drist and that i think you're being ridiculous with that but that's just (laughs) My opinion. Yeah, I don't think it, it wrecks the books. I, I, well, completely oh. ruin it, but it definitely puts it on vastly I, shakier standing. Like he is no longer like the antithesis of the drow because that is the drow are no longer the antithesis of what he represents. Well, yeah, yeah except for all the other ways. Other than being pure evil, that he doesn't represent them. I mean, that's that was the thing, right? Because like the 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 ways he doesn't represent them is that he's honorable and um, protects his friends instead of like pushing them in front of instead of using them as human shields, which is what the drow do. Um, there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole list of behaviors. 
that 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 are i mean this is, this is i didn't think this was, conversation was actually going to go here but it is this is actually this discussion about like establishing norms as far as what's safe to target in a game for the players right that's it's it it is like what what and it it goes back to our discussion on like where 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 evil what's appropriate to like designate something as evil in a game right like yeah. how what what's the what's the fantasy of that and I think it's if you're designing a setting or if you're designing these kinds of norms, there are going to be repercussions, and in some sense it can help fill the the blanks for you where if if this was the first time that someone had created different species of elves, they might want uh, differentiators. And one way of saying, you know, these are subterranean and they also have a different society and their society is built on one that we would view as evil because it's the, the they're willing to sacrifice uh, love and family to get ahead mm -hmm. is a way of differentiating that. And it's a label that I think people can latch onto that colors their impression of what that uh that lore is it's a it's a, a tag a label that defines a lot um so hmm. it facilitates establishing norms it's just maybe not the norms that you know wizards of the coast wants to continue to advertise but it's something that i think can be very powerful and can help you in designing your setting and designing your world yeah well that that's interesting to me hearing you say that makes me think of um like what how okay so part of what in what you said got me thinking about like how strongly you allow players of the game to identify with the bad guys that they're that they're ostensibly fighting right like there there's there's a because in 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 most games of 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 D and D you're you you don't identify with the bad guys at all, right? They're 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 a lot of times they're essentially cardboard cutouts that you're you're whacking with with um with point sticks to reduce them to zero, but you're not like and there's no there's no there's <laughs> but that's that's what I'm saying is there's not like there's not a visceral feeling of doing damage to a person like there is in cer certain other games where that that uh fiction is much more entrenched in the mechanics and then how much you allow players to sort of identify with what they're fighting creates that um what cat was saying about the uh, uh uh sort of that disconnect where it's like okay wait a second are we supposed to be fighting these guys this feels weird now like I'm not sure what the norms are, because I thought the norms were these guys are the bad guys, but at the same time, uh, we've got one of them in the party, and now it, now I'm you know, and we're trying to play it kind of like semi-serious, maybe you know, because I feel like in a cartoonish game this wouldn't this wouldn't be as big a factor, but in a game where you're trying to play it semi-seriously and sort of like think about the implications, the broader implications of actions and stuff like that, if that's the kind of play that you enjoy, um, then it would be challenging, perhaps, and not in a fun way, to consider the fact that maybe, like, okay, this the, the whole, the premise the game is built on makes us uncomfortable at this point. I think that, okay, we've got 
Jonathan listening in, he can't really join us directly for this mm-hmm. episode, but he has some interesting points. And one of the ones that he mentioned is removal of the evil text is like D&D saying, oh, well, I have a black friend. And then he's like, the fans of the character in the setting will still read it as the as was originally intended with nothing really changed. And I think he's probably correct on that to some extent, but I think it's also going to be kind of an interesting clash that as you bring in newer players, some of them are going to definitely notice that there's a disconnect between what the game says is true and what the actual players say is true. And that these are not going to work together. Like if you have like a group of players that is just starting out now and they're starting D and D based on like whatever movies or whatever they're going to come out with. Mm -hmm. And then you have people that have been playing D and D for years with these same established characters, because they're definitely going to reuse the same characters. Then you're going to wind up with some really weird situations when you start combining these two groups and they're going to be like basically talking past each other because it's like, they're referring to the same name, but they're describing two very different concepts that, Mm. don't really mesh together and it's like I think that will cause some significant confusion in the future but I don't think it'll be immediate hmm that's that's a that's a heck of a projection but okay I mean maybe I could see a, a scenario in which something like that goes down um, but I don't think it's terribly likely but I do see what Jonathan's saying about D&D removing that evil text as being like this sort of weird virtue signal where it's like, yeah, but we're still supposed to kill him, right? Like, it's like they still have hit points in armor class and we still get like, we still advance if we, if we, if we, if we, if we these dudes get got, right? So, what, didn't it, D&D do an entire book of God you're supposed to, you're not supposed to kill, but it gave them all stats? Wasn't that a thing that they did a long <laughs> time ago? Oh, yeah, they, they do it every edition. It's like, here, here's the deities of the realm, here's the stats, and the players go, oh, shit, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Which is, which, <laughs> which is honestly the mindset D&D teaches you to take, which, let's talk... Uh, we are going to be on D&D for a little bit, so I might as well get my thoughts out. Uh, D&D is very good at establishing its norms. It is yep. not very good at... Uh, how should I phrase this? Maintain- it's not very good at subtle. See, and it's not very, and it's not very good at... And it's not very good at... Uh, what's, the, what's this thing? Containing itself? So... It gets a bunch of things that are not act- that did not intend to be part of it attached to it because somebody did a one setting guide that was different and uh, and eventually got parlanced into the into the core of it and D&D has become a monstrosity that is that is different things to different people and that's okay but it needs to kind of acknowledge that anyway moving on no that actually and like not moving on immediately i think this is something that's actually kind of important is that Players are definitely going to do stuff that is not what you expected them to do. Like, 
this is just a thing about RPGs in general. Like as long as you have any capacity for the players to do really anything they want, as long as they can come up with a reasonable justification for it, this is going to happen. Like as long as they have significant agency beyond that of a video game where you choose whether to kill the monster on the left first or the monster on the right first, but you're still going to have to kill both monsters to open the door. Like once you start opening that up and letting the players do things, this is going to change. And once you start changing that, well, these players are going to pass that information down to the next players. Those players may also start writing, you know, fan works or expansions onto what was originally made. And once that starts happening, it's like, okay, the core nature of this is shifting and changing. And the norms are not static in that sense. Unless you actually have like something like the D&D style guide they used to have where it was like, yes, there are these explicit rules. If you are going to write for D&D, then you must follow certain premises that are norms. Yep. That didn't lead to as much discussion as I hoped. <laughs> oh, oh, that's fine. I want to. I want to escape D and I feel like we have dwelt on it long enough. It has been dwelt. Okay. So, do we want to do the side conversation that is trying to establish a normal play in the game, and then having the things that you try to do to subtly encourage things completely ignored because that's not people are think are going to engage with your game and. <laughs> Also known as, there's a real lot of really good ideas in Blades in the Dark, and some of the and some of them are even used in practice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, some of them are used. Uh, the norms of Blades in the Dark are 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 fairly well established by the game, um, because it has uh, a, an integral session zero, basically. Uh, because you have to do crew design. And because it forces you to do that, you have to have a conversation about what kind of game you want, which means you have to establish the norms of the game. Mm -hmm. A little bit. I think it also, like what you're saying about the crew design for that, also gives a sense of um, uh, feel. Um, like each of the crews has a very different approach i think and a, a different tone that it sets or, or different interactions that set up what those kinds of expectations are going to be um because you could do the like you're the crew of thugs and you you beat up people in the streets or you're very much the the information brokers and and dealers in that sense where you're um like more so engaging in in social interactions um and that sets up a whole slew of you know what these lore moments are going to look like for you um and it still is encompassed within the overall picture of what the setting is but um 
it, it allows the players to choose exactly what kind of um, encounters they want, and it allows them to view that through the lens of what other fiction is out there that they can put themselves in, and that I guess that establishes the world that you play in. If that makes sense. It's the more the more like the smaller bubble of the world you play in. Hmm. Hmm. You are you're forced to define things tighter. Mm-hmm. Does that make it more local? Like, does it make it m- more graspable for players because of the necessity of tight definition? I think it gives um, more concrete examples of where to draw inspiration from. So I'd say that like, the more that your game has um, a tighter set of, or a smaller set of what you're aiming to do or what activities are here or what your objectives are, the more you're able to draw from fiction that is closely related to what you want and other elements of style, and that establishes what those numbers are. Like the more, um, I'm I'm maybe not as familiar with like um, Blades in the Dark as much as I would be with like Edge of the Empire or Star Wars, where there's a reason why the Edge of the Empire books are broken up into three specific um, sections, where they have one that is very much like you are the scoundrels on the edge of the universe, and there's the you are military uh, soldiers, and then there is the Force and you are Jedi. And each of these has sort of a little bit of a, a smaller niche and different pieces of lore that you can interact with that establish what kinds of stories you tell and what kinds of elements of the setting are going to come up more often for you. And that gives you different branching off points and different uh, expectations when you're going in to play the game. This does make a lot of sense. And I I think you're correct here that when you specify something more closely like this, like there's more definition to a very specific aspect of something then you know what kind of information you're going to be using to augment it because everything is based to some degree on memes and tropes and previous knowledge like if you're doing a fantasy setting you are basing it somewhat on other fantasy settings to fill in the gaps like it doesn't matter if it's D&D or something completely different it's going to be based at least a little bit on uh, Tolkien's work just because he's like the father of modern I don't know about modern anymore like we're we're starting to get into a post-modern form of fantasy but a lot of fantasy is still based on these basic premises premises that he set up and everything had basically branched off from there so there's certain things that you're just gonna have to be drawing from just because it's fantasy it's like the idea of like there are elves like how many fantasy games don't have elves like there's a lot that don't but 
you'll notice that basically none of them are mainstream. Like, Depending on how you define mainstream, but yeah, I understand what you actually mean there. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, like I like Anima. Anima is <laughs> a good game. It does. It kind of has things that are is Vampire out. the Masquerade mainstream? Is that is that as close as that's that's the only one I can think of. That's the only one of like because like what are the what are the top ones right? It's basically D and D, Pathfinder, Shadowrun, Elves, uh, Warhammer, Elves, uh, friggin' Dark Heresies got Elves. Um, it has two flavors of Elves that are yeah, actually multiple, yeah, tons of flavors of Elves. Yeah, Forty <laughs> uh, K has got Elves. Uh, two types of Elves there as well. Two types of Elves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Like Vampire the Masquerade, uh, Apocalypse World doesn't have elves, but shit, it sure could. Like if that's I not, mean, that's... There, there, there are there are derivatives of Apocalypse World that definitely have elves. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's Dungeon World, right? So that's that's definitely elvesy. Um, there's a game just there's, called I think Elves that is that has elves in it. That's not mainstream. Um, there's Fellowship, which is not really mainstream, but it definitely and, has yeah, elves. The the one ring what that's got elves in it. Uh yeah. Uh Legend of the Five Rings. For... Elf Flyfar? Uh yeah, no no elves in that, I guess. Yeah, it's a little bit more niche. I'd I would still call it semi mainstream though. Like I don't know if I'd call it one of the biggest ones, but it's like uh, it's up there. God, I'm trying to remember. Do the unicorns count as elves? The unicorns count as elves. Uh <laughs> I don't know. Cranklam might count as elves. The the White Wolf Wiki defines the fairest mm-hmm. who are changeling seemings. Oh shit! There's right. There's elves in Vampire Masquerade technically too. Yep. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, was, kind of uh, <laughs> I mean, they're a standard, you know, fantasy concept. Like not even just, you know, in from Tolkien's work, but he drew upon like much older myths and yes, elves. but he co- what Tolkien did uh, uh, that is significant to R.E. Elves mm-hmm. is he codified is he stapled together a bunch of a uh, bunch of di- dispara and made a single co- a single unified codified elf that takes co- that is a coherent combination of them and as such those things are now considered the same thing despite the fact that they had no interbreeding originally. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what, like, if you're drawing on, like, inspiration from mythology, that's kind of what you have to do. Otherwise, you're just copy-pasting, like, a very limited concept. Like, if you look at, like, say, European-styled fae, like, there's a lot of different variants on them but we've kind of just melded them together in fantasy too yeah there's like 20 plus different variants but they're all kind of the same thing now and it makes for this very complex and nuanced Mm. sort of species thing going on but if you break them up into their individual original concepts it's like they might have one or two traits and they're very they're very kind of bland because of that. It's only when you amalgamate them that they actually get like properly interesting. Uh, 
Well, it's part of that is our records are missing a lot because uh, there was uh, this whole thing where uh, a they were largely oral traditions, like when they were being the act of main stories, and b uh, there was this whole thing where we Christianized and burned as much of that as possible at a certain mm-hmm. point. Yeah, that certainly doesn't help. Well, it wasn't written down. That's the problem. A lot of it was was oral tradition, and uh, what what was yeah, as Cavor was saying, it was Christianized and burned down, uh, and then the bells were just yeah, yep. uh, mashed together from the Vanir and the 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 the, the, the Svart elves, the dwarf dark elves, and the uh, and well, yeah, it was uh, a mishmash, but that's okay. Uh, yep, they exist now, and we and we might as well live with them. Yep, and they are. Basically in every setting, as far as I can tell. <laughs> yep. uh, Star Wars? Star Wars doesn't have elves, really. Does it? I mean, somewhere, probably, but, like, not Yeah, Star not, Wars, not, has, not, Star Wars not, either not has... Canon. So, no, it's canon, but Star Wars has six types of elves, but also it has zero types of elves. <laughs> right. Yeah. That okay. is the truth of Star Wars. To be fair, I do still... Star Wars is in that weird sort of situation where it, it is fantasy masquerading as science fiction, though. Yes. So it's like it, it we're calling we're comparing it to other fantasy, but it's not exactly the same as other fantasy because it's trying to wear like you know science fiction as a skin suit kind of thing. But once you start looking at it, it's like this is kind of you know, tripping the uncanny valley thing. Like, it, it doesn't feel quite like science fiction. Yeah, when uh, they tried to make it slightly more science fiction, it got way worse. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I am talking about uh, the the episodes one, two, three, by the way. Kind of figured, like, it, the whole midichlorians thing, nobody really liked that. <laughs> Which is a shame because Parasite Eve was a really good game and they basically did the same thing better years in advance. <laughs> Parasite Eve was a good game, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a pity about uh anyway. Yeah. And then and then they and then and then there was a little redemption because Rogue One Rogue One came out and that was well, I, I was movie. talking about Parasite Eve and Third Birthday, but Yes. <laughs> I was just saying Star Wars, I just, Star Wars did, did it right again. Yeah. Once, at least once. But yeah. That was I'm not very caught up on current Star Wars. Because oh, that's, it's worth watching. That's all I'll say. Uh, I, worth watching for me on a movie is a pretty high standard. It's not attached to any of the other Star Wars movies except a new Yeah, home. no, I, oh. I'm saying in order to get me to watch a, a movie, I'll do I'll do it like once a year if somebody sits me down and gives me a good reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh there's a there's a hallway fight scene with Darth Vader that is fucking rad. Yeah, that's not enough. Okay, not enough. Okay. Uh everybody dies at the end. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> I don't I don't if, okay, that is officially if somebody says sits me down, if one of my friends says, okay, I want to watch Rogue One, I will not actively leave the room. There you go. Um, I would say for Rogue One, it's just everything about the movie is actually good except the two main characters. 
I actually didn't like either of the main characters. Everything else is good, though, so it makes up for it. I, I kind of agree with you. It's okay. <laughs> I kind of agree. I, I think I think the, the weakest part were the were the were were the mains, but that's it was still. I think they were still very good. And but but uh, yeah, very very my favorite Star Wars movie at this point. I would say yeah. Okay. Uh, so we've talked about Star- we've had a Star Wars derail. Okay. Hey. It's it's the norms. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> okay, duh. there was something it's... else I wanted to talk about it's... on this topic, but uh, oh right. Hey, how do you actually do this? Uh, I want. I feel like Cat needed to say something right there. Cat was like squeaking. Yes. Okay, Catrice, please say your word. <laughs> no, I was just stretching. It's fine. Dude, oh, okay. I'm... Sorry, I should have muted for that. I you I thought you you were doing it sounded like that squeak you do when you're when you need to interrupt that somebody's talking and you're being Canadian and polite. Uh, Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fact that's, but no. What I want to do is I want to go down the. I want to ask both Rob and Catrice the question of, okay, how do you how do you think you do this in your game? And I will Ooh. comment compared to what I know on your game and see if that actually coheres. To my understanding. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. So how I do it, how I do it in Ashes. Um, so you might want to use an old version of Ashes. If I will. It's, it's it. Well, it actually establishes the norms in a very similar way. So not not far off. Uh, the norms are established. Uh, so the game opens with you waking up from the apocalypse, uh, and you know that. There's been a magical apocalypse. You know that you were affected by it. You know that you survived. You know that you're scarred by it. Uh, you know that you can... Uh, you have access to a deeper level of magic than other people. You know what the arcana are and what your primary relationships are to the arcana, like how you feel about at least one of them strongly. Um, you have a community that you've lost and you have a rival community that you think uh, is either responsible uh, for that loss or um, you believe is probably going to make things worse in the aftermath of the apocalypse. Uh, You also have at least one salient item that you carry, uh, and you've gotten to define your relationship to that as well as who gave it to you. Um, Let me see. And you have an established safe space of operations that you have that was your like where your body found refuge the first day at the end of the first day as it instinctually sort of carried you through to like what where you knew as as your memories start coming back so um i do sort of this discovery thing uh where i'm asking the players all these questions and they're getting to establish the norms that they want out of the world so it it depends, right? I've had I've had players um, uh, begin the game. So uh, in earlier editions of Ashes, I had players build parties uh, where they each controlled uh, multiple characters, and the game that's a core feature of the game. And so uh, in the newer versions, I don't I'm not quite to the point of doing that at character creation. That's because character creation is now sort of spread out across 
many sessions. That sort of thing can come in a, uh, a little later than the the opening. Um, but I've had players like establish that one of their guys is a duck with big beefy arms, and that's fine. Okay. And I've also had players like establish the fact that 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 uh, one of the apocalypse spells was something that made it killed people by uh, vaporizing what was it all of the water in their body and so there were like these sort of half desiccated exploded skeletons everywhere that was one of the main remnants so yeah yeah okay so i would like to uh gonna just say your world uh establish also establishes your game also tries to establish a norm of Things are going to be esoteric, weird, and insight is very powerful. And yes. if you do not make good use of it, it will destroy you. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, it establishes, but it does not establish that norm at the beginning. That's a norm that is there for the players to find. Yes, but it is definitely something that is, how should I phrase this, integral? And yeah. Yeah, the, the 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 another norm that's established, though not in the opening, is or no, I guess it is established in the opening. Uh ish. Good question. Um, is that your your actions generally have unintended consequences, and that they're inescapable, and you can offload them to the extent that you want, but there's no way to not deal with them. So either you're pushing them onto other people or you're, um, uh, you know, internalizing them in a way that's harmful to you or they're, you know, so there's something about the consequences of actions that are unavoidable. So that's another that's another key key thing that's established. But that's again, that's established through the mechanics. So that's like a sort of meta norm, I suppose. But it is a norm. So that's how I do it so far um, in Ashes. In a um, couple of the other games, the norms are established just by the lack of choice, I suppose. Um, uh, in, in Temples of the Infinite, uh, you just you have you pick from one of 10 character types and that's it. And then everything else is randomized and the norms are. Uh, you you're sort of a semi-ascended martial arts master and you uh, are finding loci of dark karma in the world in the multiverse and being sent to deal with it and then you go back to your meditations and that's that's what you do that's the whole thing so it's really constrained it's really and then but within that it's like quantum leap where you jump into a new body and you're ensconced in the world and the the norms are established there by basically the chart or deck of cards that you're using to uh create the characters randomly so uh if you play a setting where uh, everybody's a magical dinosaur that's on the cards or the chart uh you know people are different <laughs> varieties of dinosaur i suppose uh and they may wield different varieties of magic but everybody's a magical dinosaur um, or you jump into, let's say, uh, 
just a random like like a D and D setting where it's an elf, a dwarf, a halfling, a human, whatever. You can do that, or you jump into My Little Pony, and everybody has a, a pony, and they got that little mark that gives them a special thingy, and you go off and fight uh, a dark karma master um, as a, a magical pony. Totally doable, but that's established by the. Totally done that. Well, there you go. It's great. Or you can jump into Shadowrun and play Shadowrun with that system and be basically like a kick-ass physical adept, uh, but also a cybered-up elf at the same time. Because elves are unavoidable, we've discovered. They're everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> uh, so that's how I do it. Um, yeah. So how does that comport with what you thought, Cavor? And then I want to hear from Kat. That that you did it pretty well. Uh, I've learned some new things, and I just wanted to get that on the record. We kind of talked. To, I would have also asked Mark, but we actually did kind of go over praxis at the start. Um, yeah, I think we were recording that. Yeah, that's yeah. what I assumed. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. Yeah, I was Although already. I do yeah, I think Mark, you should talk about your questionnaire just briefly as something sure. that you do to help the players establish norms. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly how the the game best does it. Um, so for those who haven't already heard my rants, um, Praxis is a game about your character development, and the setting is agnostic. The way that you set it up in-game is through a session zero, where all of the players collaboratively answer a questionnaire. Um, the questionnaire asks setting-specific questions, um, and it goes from as, as broad as, you know, what is a theme that is important in the the game uh down to you know who is a major power and what is their stake um to the very end where they ask you you know what what is your your goal and your motivation in playing this game like what is the the overarching goal for the players to have um so by defining what each of these um facets of the game are this really establishes what those norms get to be um, because these are going to be the major powers that are basically solidified in stone until the players interact with them. Um, they act as the reinforcement for the game master to incorporate these elements because this is how the game master uh, interacts back with the players. This is their, their set of dice, I should say. Um, so they draw from this deck to create the challenges of the world that the players then need to overcome. Um, so these are constantly being fed back to the game master as a reminder of what exists in the setting. These are the elements that interact with the players and can disrupt their plans towards their goal. So um, by creating this deck that is the, the GM's arcana, is what it's called, or the GM deck, uh, was the um, creation of what the setting is all about and in that way i know that there are always going to be these elements that are antagonizing the players um, and preventing them from succeeding or will always be these kinds of elements to draw from and that really sets up what the fiction of the game feels like and where the players are situated um, in in trying to strive for something that's greater than themselves so yeah, those those kinds of questions really set up what the feel of the game ends up being. Yeah, I really, I'm still kind of 
itching to play the setting that Jonathan and I came up with. <laughs> <laughs> you like, know, I'm, I'm down to do that. Um, I, I If I can find that list again, I'd be happy to run uh, a game and, and record it. And just, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, okay, awesome. You know, the funny uh, part is, hmm. it almost doesn't matter. Like, if you had to start off with a completely new setting using mm -hmm. Mark setup, you'd still be itching to play that one anyway. <laughs> yep. So it's kind of irrelevant. Oh, shucks. <laughs> yeah, it's no, true. It's, it's true. It the nature really of those, yeah. yeah, the nature of those questions means that you're... Does the, it does a similar thing to what I'm trying to do with with Ashes is like make the players deeply invested. Like yeah. at, at the at the outset, right? Like don't give them motivations. Like let them tell you. Exactly. Like, you know. Like where yeah. how what's your relationship to this? Like what what how do you feel about this? Like where's your like where's where like where does this stick for you? Where does this land? And so they're telling you how it lands. Yeah. And it's just like, oh yeah, why not ask the players what they want? It's it's funny because it's exactly how I want to GM games, mm -hmm. um, how I want to run games with players, um, and I think it's very much my my ethos that I get to put into this, which is fun because it's when a player says, you know, uh, I want to check the tent that like uh, we've come across in the road in case there's anything valuable inside. Why not put something inside? Like yeah. it is. It is. It's so boring to just be like, nope, it is an empty tent. When you could, like, the, the players have expressed that desire to find something and you, you put it in the game. And I think that that's exactly what Praxis gets to do. Um, so somewhat of a tangent from the norms, but I think the idea is that there's always content to be found in the game um, based on the things that the players are intending to encounter. The tent is the mouth of a monster that's subterranean. Yeah, exactly. But just by, by engaging with the tent in the first place shows that there's interest there. And I think that that's, that's where I want there to be excitement and fulfillment. Um, so, Yeah, I take a slightly different approach on that, though, because like, it is, it is a good idea to start off the game with asking the players, what kind of game do you want to play? What sort of things are you looking to do? I did it slightly different in the sense of like pushing that off for like a session or two, like get the players to have a feel for their character first, because like I found that what you come up with on paper is not the same as the actual character that you end up playing. So like yeah. it, it takes like a session or two to actually play your character and go okay this they're not behaving the way i thought they would this is pretty common so in a game with a more established um character i almost feel like you need that little bit of buffer there like because you're starting off with a blank slate you don't really have that issue you can start off with the establishing what the players want to do from the very start but for my game, since I'm focusing on the central premise of, you know, your character is the thing that you're exploring, then you first need to have a little bit of time to figure out what they are and where they're kind of going to know what you want to do with that. Yeah, I, f I feel that. Um, 
letting the um hmm. let me, let me, let me, that's sitting kind of interesting um Hmm. So I it's it repeat the last thing you said. That was like five seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we both have the memory of a gold. <laughs> That's good. Um no, it was so I it, what was what was interesting to me was like, yeah, so you're 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 the the thing about letting the players find themselves mm-hmm. like through 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 playing the characters, sort of like Okay, I have this idea of what this character could be like, right? And then mm-hmm. you start playing, and then you get this like, oh yeah, actually no, I'm I'm, I'm much more like this thing, and yeah. more because because and and I feel like where that comes from is like this is much more fun to play the character like this, you know, it's more know. enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Um, or even like maybe seeing not more enjoyable, but uh, makes. It could even make the overall play better. Like it's inter- it's flowing with the other characters better than you expected, maybe. Um, and you're modifying your play to flow with the others a bit. Like so, you kind of. <clears throat> hmm. The visual metaphor that's coming to me is like a say 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 the character the party is like a, a pie chart, and the players each slot in like maybe 10% of that pie chart with what they think they're bringing to the table. And then they allow themselves to sort of expand and bump up against the expansion of the other characters. Mm. And so until they're all sort of gradually taking like an equal piece of the pie or people are taking what they feel comfortable with. Like if somebody doesn't want the spotlight as much, they're, they're sort of allowed to fade back a little bit. And that as that flow sort of establishes between the players' personalities as to who enjoys, you know, being the the center of attention and who likes sort of fading back, the characters may develop slightly differently to accommodate that, the flow of the conversation as well. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, though. I almost feel like we need a new graph type for that because, like, the pie chart is a neat concept, except that, like, you can definitely get overlap between the characters and players so like it almost feels like it should also have like a venn diagram built in there where you can actually get overlap between the two yeah yeah i I, okay sure fair enough but like i'm what i I guess what i'm saying is um sorry (laughs) i've noticed that the characters expand or contract to fill the available space yeah that's totally true and it is totally something that this will change gradually over time like and i think i like your concept of like each one puts in like 10 percent to start with and like you have like five people it's like the graph is only half full what's in the rest of it we don't know we haven't explored it yet there's something in there Mm -hmm. we just don't know what yet so it's like how big is each slice going to be be in the end in theory 20 percent, but in practice probably not but yeah it's like because this is if you start with an established character then you don't know really the totality of that character that was something that i kind of wanted to stress for my game in particular that yes you're starting with a far more in-depth starting point than most games have 
and yet despite that you have like a lot more depth to your character when you start there's also the the admission that as soon as you start playing this character they're going to be changing and different than the establishment like they start with this premise that they don't know themselves so it doesn't it you have this establishment of what was you don't have the establishment of what is yeah i really like that yeah you need the first two or three sessions to figure that out so that's kind of why i push off like figuring out some of the basic things like your stronghold and such until you've gone through what's essentially like the first two three levels are almost like a tutorial stage where it's not just learning the game's mechanics but learning your character mm -hmm. I, I really like the way you said that because I, I feel that that's very true in a lot of games where you know character creation should be about what what they are or sorry who they were but it does not really define who they are right now and only through the act of playing are you really able to identify who they are right now um and and that's a very interesting process. And I think that's what, to me, led to why I designed Praxis the way I did, was that the characters, you define a few things about their past, and then they become more fleshed out as you play the game and as you interact with things. And I, I love that idea too. So I think that mm -hmm. that is a similar uh, feature that is shared between, you know, where I feel... Uh, the reality comes to be in in actually playing a character in a role playing game. Yeah, there there's a something interesting that Kat said too is you start with you don't actually start with the character you were you start with the character you think you were. Mm. Right. Like you have a conception of your of yourself that you that is like you a priori faulty. Right. So, you know, that like you have this conception of yourself and the game tells you, oh, yeah, this is you, you did something completely outside what you think was correct. So now you don't actually know yourself. Right. So yeah, the like person you thought you were. Yeah, exactly. And so you, it, it allow not only does it give you this, you, you have this depth of backstory that you're allowed to access. Right. As the game you're, 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 when you start a character in Sarasa, you uh, establish a depth of backstory. But what's really fascinating about it is immediately on start of the game, you establish a undiscovered depth of front story as well. Mm -hmm. Like you, uh, you establish like, oh yeah, there's a journey to be had here that is probably as long as the backstory, if not longer. If not longer, but, and but and that... but but that's but it's but it's norm you establish like right out the gate. Yeah, so that's just that. It's cool. That's all. I mean, it's just like we all we. I mean, I like how we're the 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 variety of the way we do that process in our games is so different, but it's all a very similar process of <laughs> establishing, letting the players establish a a solid ground, and then totally getting out of their way. I also mostly haven't answered Kavar's question. <laughs> Please answer it then. Sorry, Kavar. Okay. Well, that 
actually some of what I just covered is part of how I establish norms, but it's not the entirety of it. So like another thing right off the start, like I have what's basically a session 0.5 because it's not session zero and it's not really the first proper session. Like there's, you are introduced to the world in character by your guardian angel. Right. So you have this transition period where you've read up on like maybe the lore or built your character or whatever in session zero, but before you actually start properly playing your character in the world, you're in this transition period where the GM's character, you literally get to speak to and ask questions about the world or why am I here or explain this stuff to me. So mm -hmm. this is a very blatant establishment of the norms. Like you can just be flat out told what they are in character. Yep. Uh, another big one other than just like reading through like yes you have a lot of lore on species and their specifics <laughs> yes and, yeah. and a lot of them are cultural as well as physical yes so there's a lot of information already to draw on so you know what's normal and it's also kind of stressed repeatedly that what's normal for a species it doesn't necessarily mean it's normal for the individual even like when you pick your species, you get, here's some baseline things that everyone in the species has. Not everybody has the same variation on it. So humans might have a stronger constitution than most species. Like it's surprisingly hard to poison a human, but it's not going to be the same for every human. Some people just have really weak stomachs. So there's different aspects that you can spend points on to basically choose your specific individual variation of humans so there's there's a norm here's like the variations of breaking from the norm and matching to the norms mm -hmm. um this is kind of stressed like all throughout the game like the premise of like sin redemption self-discovery uh, even your choices matter. All of these are built into the game's mechanics as well. So, like, the idea that you're supposed to be learning about how to change the world. It's like, well, there's no real point in learning how to change the world if you can't change the world. Like, I came up with this amazing battle plan, and then the dice said no well, then I should probably do something to override the dice and say yes anyway. Like, that's kind of built in even to, like, the core mechanics of the game. Um, there's a lot yeah. of explicit guidance for the GM as well. Like, it's not just telling the players what the norms in the world are. It's like, well, the GM's going to do whatever they want, but if you flat out tell them it's like the point of this game and a large part of why you would play this game is this reason then the gm knows to actually take that into account instead of just assuming that they'll know because it's in the mechanics like 
it kind of helps to actually tell them what what how the game is meant to be played they don't have to stick to it but these are the norms that most of the games founded upon so if you know what they are it should be easier to, to run yeah or easier to fix them if you know what the impact will be if yeah. like if, if you are running into a situation where the rules don't work for you and you know why the rules are there you can more easily adjust the rules because you know what the you know like second order effect will be yeah or at the very least you know what <clears throat> you're trying to accomplish with the rules if the rules right. are not doing what they're supposed to accomplish at least you know what they're supposed to accomplish instead of just assuming oh that's how it's supposed to be yeah and that's generally more useful um there's a few other things like very simple basic concepts that are stressed like you can break the game once in any particular way this is very clearly laid out and stated repeatedly things like combat is probably going to be over the top silly in most cases like expect it to be sort of superhero levels or shown in an anime kind of style like mm-hmm. you have magic you're not going to have like a very generic like barbarian who has a sword and fights a wizard by just fighting the wizard as if they were fighting any other melee combatant. It's like, no, there's magic here. They're going to be on same supernatural level that the wizard is. They're just going to be doing it in a different way. This should be known. If you don't lay this out very clearly, people might go into the game and try to make something that isn't going to work. Um, the only other really major thing that I think really gets stressed very early on in the game is that Machiel is a bitch. I see. It's, it's a major part of the game. <laughs> like, she runs the entire planet, and even in, like, the lore of the game, like the, the very, very start of the book, one of the, like basically the first thing that happens after the table of contents is she gives a very condescending, snarky speech. Yes. Uh, so how how Catrice does? Uh, I just wanted to to say that Catrice uh, spends a lot of time being very detailed about a lot of things. And also spends a lot of time emphasizing that you should be a quirky weirdo on top of that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Okay, let's go through Jonathan's questions unless anybody has anything to add. Um, yeah, Jonathan just threw some, threw some bullet points in the, in the chat here. I'm just going to read them out in a silky smooth radio voice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thoughts about setting norms in RPGs, as y'all discuss. The game may or may not establish settings and or genre. Building settings and genre may be done by the players as directed by the game. The game establishes how characters can interact. The game establishes how characters cannot interact. Players determine what characters do. If play feels smooth and well-directed, defined norms are likely being followed. If play feels jarring and misdirected, 
then defined norms are likely being undermined. Hmm. Or are not clearly defined enough. That's some sweet jazz. Yeah. yeah thank thank you for. Yeah. Thank you. I, I think that sums up the friggin' episode. Can we do more than that? No. Uh, well, we probably could, but. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Yes, we could. These are good notes. Good notes. Yep. And Thanks, so. sir. So, good night, everyone. It's always night wherever you are. I'm Kevor. We also have Rob. That's Rob. We have Catrice. We probably have Mark, but he's muted right now. I'm still here. Okay. Yep. And Jonathan from the Bleachers. Yes, and, jo and Jonathan was our Sabrina tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we miss you. Okay, this is, this is totally like, I'm sorry, but this is no longer your name. This is your, your, your status, your role, Sabrina. When you listen to this, you are the Sabrina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there it is. All right, everybody. Good night. Thanks for thanks for listening. Okay, let's get the robot out here, and I need to step out for always a bit. Night. It is always not where you are. That's right. I already said that. Said it again. Jazzy, <laughs> jazzy night. J jazzy, jazzy, smooth and silky and stuff. All right, great. Get the hell out.